they shot him in the back Cause it's a crime to be black And don't you act surprised When it gets vandalized So call it what it is, call it what it is Call it what it is Murder Right. You're here with the White Privilege Podcast. I am one very white guy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Unruly Rev. You can find us at Interracial John. That's J-A-W-N. We're on iTunes, Stitcher. Just search IRJ or Interracial John. Again, that's J-A-W-N. Rev, it's been uh, a few months. We've got a lot of catching up to do. How the heck are you? We sure do. Uh, I'm doing okay right now. It's been uh, It's been a big couple of months, uh, I know, for both of us. I've gotten a new job. I've moved to a, a different, you know, num- many, many hours away from where I used to live. I'm up in Chicago now and uh, working on figuring out how a new job and a new place and a new apartment and a new city and all that stuff is all working out. So it's all good. And uh, it's all kind of overwhelming and yet not not overwhelming to the point of not being able to do stuff, just like, holy cow, how many things are on this to-do list just to be able to take care of, of, you know, getting out the door in the morning and learning a new path to get to work. And I used to just work out of my house. And so now I actually have to go somewhere and... (laughs) Well, that's a lot. And I, and I know, (laughs) yeah, I know you've got a family now in a, in another state, you're sort of uh, doing the, what's the word I'm looking for? remote uh you know uh what's the why can't you think of the phrase when a relationship is not in the same city why am no, i long distance long yeah. di- you're doing the long distance uh thing with the family which has got to be super super tough and i and i i just hats off to you you've been uh i won't say pushing but but ready to, to do the podcast and i've been i had my illness i was in the hospital i've been having uh, a few different issues but for you to put time aside and want to be able to do this and and all that's going on with your life that's that's terrific i really appreciate it well you know like we've been saying a lot of this is about for us whether or not there's you know seven or eight people listening uh this is also about me staying on track and staying accountable because you're one of my accountability buddies so this is uh it's kind of selfish in a way that that i want to keep doing this and make sure that i'm staying on top of my own uh my own nonsense and the way that i'm going so I I've said the same to, to you that that you are my accountability partner and that this helps me have some consistency and even we we talked on the last show it was quite a few months ago about you know what what is this and how is it what is it doing and who's it doing it for is it performative um, and I think we've we've come up with a a few we've had some good discussions privately you and I about kind of what to do um, and certainly we can keep checking in I don't know if people want to hear more about uh, our lives I had diverticulitis I was in the hospital had about a foot of my colon removed that was a bummer <laughs> it wasn't exactly fun <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm super uh, I shouldn't privilege I guess is the right word that I've got employment and health insurance and I had the the means and capacity to uh pay for all that you know lots and lots of people go bankrupt from from medical expenses so um no no complaints it was you know a long couple of months but um yeah and you got family that yeah you got got people too that that came around to take care and not everybody has that as well i i'll say i don't know if if folks listening to the show there's a, a crossover in the venn diagram but i was just blown away by the outpouring of support from folks that i just 
I didn't know there was that many people that 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 thought and cared uh, about me and my well-being, and it was really uh, wow. touching to see. Um, yeah, I had an injury in my early twenties. I don't even know if we've really talked about this. I had a a, a sports-related, pretty significant injury. This was in the early nineties, uh, where I broke my ankle clear through in three places oh and wound up gosh. in the hospital with uh, surgery and all sorts of other stuff. And and I didn't have insurance at the time, and I uh, I the job that I was in was a construction. So I was, I worked construction for about 20 years, which means that if you can't walk, you know, you can't do construction. So didn't have any work then. And then, uh, I had been sleeping on somebody's couch and I thought another thing was coming up. Anyway, I wound up being homeless for about 18 months in New York city, uh, partially as a result of not being able to work and then medical bills on top of that. So yeah, I have a very real experience of that. Uh, thank, thankfully, thankfully, um, I had enough people in my life that I was able to couch surf and apartment sit and find places. Sometimes it was that morning I would know where I'm going to sleep that night, but it came down to that sometimes. So I have, uh, I definitely appreciate what you're saying because it doesn't take much. It doesn't take yeah. much to be devastated by medical bills. I mean, this, uh, even in my own life, 20 years ago would have been, you know, pretty crippling financially. Um, well, anyway, uh, enough of, of us, um, I love what you've written on our notes and I'm going to just tell people we have notes. We podcast guys, we share notes. Uh, and one of the things that we, we talked about uh, on the last show and we've been kind of talking about recently is just what, what are we doing? Is this beneficial? You know, what is the structure? Who is this helping? Is this for my benefit? Is this making me feel good, but not doing any real good? Uh, are we taking that critical step to actually taking action and dismantling system supremacy? Um, so you, you made a note that uh, we're going to talk about our structure moving forward and we're going to work on it uh, and it's going to be stumbling and messy and we're not going to do it perfectly, um, but we're not going to get stuck trying. And, and I really think that's a great uh, synopsis or sort of how I feel about even what I do on Twitter and just, you know, our, our discussion, it's not perfect. It's not pretty. It is stumbling. It's, uh, and that's the only way I know is to show my journey warts and all. Um, and I feel like this podcast has been a little bit like that. So we're going to explore it some more and talk about what maybe we can do to, uh, keep moving things forward. And to that end, we actually, we got a, a really nice email. Did you get a chance to read this, Rev? I did. I, t I took a quick look at it. Okay. I'll, so why don't you why don't you go ahead and yeah? And, uh, I'll and read it for the there. folks. But I, I really uh, it was sort of one of these things where you say, "Is anybody listening? Is this really matter? <laughs> what what does it do?" And uh, and and Kirk, uh, kind soul that uh, they are, wrote this for us. So, dear Drew and Rev, after your last episode, it seems like you may be considering reformatting or even canceling the podcast. So I thought I'd toss in my feedback as a listener. Brief background, after 50 years of being a good liberal, I read Michael Eric Dyson's book, Tears We Cannot Stop, last year, and it opened my eyes. You can guess the rest, but after tearing through books by Baldwin, Yancey, Aluo, even Michael Bennett, suffice it to say, racial justice has become a passion. Somewhere along the lines, I discovered your podcast, and it seemed to answer a lot of the questions I couldn't ask folks around me, not the least of which was, how can I learn more without burdening black folks to teach me beyond books? Unfortunately, I was about a month too late for safety pin box, but I could listen to your work, uh, to you two work shit out together, and I learned a ton. Thank you. It's the lingering stuff I haven't yet found in books like So You Want to Talk About Race, which is truly a godsend sent by Unicorn Riding Angel, and that's uh, Ijeoma, wonderful book, um, that maybe can only come from other white folks wading through our own mess. That's all a long-winded way to say that your podcast provides great value. 
thank you, Kirk. Uh, maybe only to noobs like me who are just taking off their training wheels, but that's not nothing. And I think you said it on the last episode that it isn't enough. And I agree that you should probably evolve the format to work through more advanced growth, but your unique progressive perspectives are needed and appreciated. The great thing about a podcast is if you feel you provided the one-on-one content already, you can check that off the list. It's done. Your order, your older episodes can live on for noobs to discover while you advance to the next stages. Ideas for future episode topics, contradictions. Uh, so Kirk says, man, there are so many, but a big one is don't ask black folks to teach you how to, uh, how not to oppress them, but also it's bad when white folk do it alone, AKA surge. Uh, he says, a dent in white supremacy. What are some ideas or roadmaps towards actually making a dent, however small, in systemic oppression beyond the common calls for actions and voting, et cetera? Kirk, you, you get me. That's where I'm, I'm <laughs> going at, taking that action. Uh, strategies for changing minds. White folks likely fall into several buckets of openness to engaging with their whiteness. Surely some are easier to convert, i.e. the good liberals like me who just need a tipping point. But like, could we analyze things like what essays, books, media, et cetera, tend to wake up white folk more? But I've had this exact dialogue, Kirk. Somewhere we've been talking. Uh, at what time in the lives, like what is that perfect storm? What recipe for waking up? Why not get a little scientific? Like if you recommend this article to your friend who needs a nudge, there's an 82% chance they'll drop the fragility. Uh, guest interviews, you've considered this and you may have good reason to avoid it. I just launched my own industry podcast where I get the fuck out of the way to bring industry leaders on and then dig out real actionable tips that others can use the next day instead of the usual platitudes you often get on podcasts. Food for thought or the garbage can, but you can you ask for feedback, so there it is. Be well, uh, Kirk Scotus, and he's at Kirk Scotus. Uh, well, Kirk, thank you very much. Uh, and I, I this one, the strategies for changing minds. I, I I think I had this discussion probably a few years ago with with my wife Leslie Mack, and I was like, you know, why isn't there th- there's universities and institutions, and we know down to the 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 minutia how to market friggin' everything and anything. I, I can look at your zip code, your date of birth, and I know within a good degree of probability all sorts of things from the color of the car you drive to what TV station you watch. Like, you know, like psychographic and demographics have gotten that good on a marketing of products, goods, and services because, you know, capitalism. But I was like, well, how come we haven't done that with, with anti-racism? Why aren't there like A, B, you know, multivariate studies that say this type of person who reads this type of thing is going to have this kind of reaction? And, you know, I think the the simple answer is because white supremacy doesn't want that to happen. And I've tweeted about this before and sort of my, my long answer being that individually, and this is a hypothesis, I don't, you know, why has nobody done this, Kirk? Because white supremacy you know, no one's motivated to actually end this in any significant well, way. And certainly that 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 framework that you just set up is capitalism. Capitalism certainly is not interested in that as part of the function and the structure of white supremacy. So it, is requ- it requires white supremacy to, you know, capitalism, right. white supremacy are in, uh, inexorably intertwined. Right. Yeah. So put that together and this would not be. This would not be where uh, studies and funds are going to be going. Yeah. <laughs> right, and and I, my uh, assertion is that it really it, it it wouldn't work. So that I, I'll maybe find the tweet thread, but the TLDR is that we've all been indoctrinated in such unique individual ways, like the fragile snowflake. No two are alike. It kind of holds true, and in that same sense, no two. Uh, aha moments are going to be the same for any individual. And it's and I heard someone say this in terms of. Uh, theology and sort of proselytization, but it, it, I think it maybe fits. You don't know if you're talking to somebody, if the change is going to come from the first, second, or the 100th person to talk to them, or rather it might take a hundred people talking 
for this person to have the aha change. And you don't know if your conversation is the first, second, 99th, or the hundredth one that's going to be the tipping point, but you got to do it anyway. You know, so it's almost like, you know, when I talk to white people often, I, in my mind, I'm like, this is not going to have any impact. I know it's not going to have any impact, but I have to call it out and I have to say what it is and I have to try. But, you know, if someone's asked me like, oh, how many, how many people have you, you know, saved and converted? Zero. <laughs> I don't know of anybody that I've spoken to that, you know what I mean? Like it, and even that's maybe a, an inappropriate binary. There isn't any sort of like, okay, we're done now. Um, you know, Kirk said good liberal white people, but there isn't any finish where we're completely uh, abolitionist, anti-racist superheroes like that. That doesn't happen. That's part of the piece is that the, the yardstick that you're measuring against is white supremacist created to begin with. So to shift what the nature of a win is, is mm. key. And this is also where I think around, around some of this, why there isn't obvious why there isn't an obvious uh article or book or any of that too is because i've said this over and over again i'm going to say it again this is not an intellectually this is not an intellectual only endeavor this is not an academic only endeavor this isn't just a thinking thing where people go oh i just wasn't thinking about it the right way white supremacy is a spiritual disease and so it takes those kinds of uh that that kind of commitment to some kind of a spiritual or a philosophical if you don't like uh the word theology if you're more of a you know like a secular humanist or an atheist that doesn't use words around with you know theos in it it's going to take a philosophical uh an uh an ethical consistent regular practice to shift it's not you know, really, when most people get that aha, it's probably because work has been being done, like you're saying. So it's a it's a bigger piece. It's a bigger piece than just, oh, if you'd only turned the book, you know, this way, I would have seen that secret writing and I would have gotten it. And th that's one of the hard things about this. Yeah. And I when I've talked about and I thank you for uh, taking me out of my uh, ivory tower academic you know i like to think things through i'm a white dude <laughs> that's that's an achilles heel I, I can think the problem out uh so thank you for for uh acknowledging that but um it, it's going to take a lot of people working in a lot of different directions and some not even knowing that others are working you know what i mean like it's just it's such a big issue and i i don't think it's a good I, I don't know who has the answer and it's certainly not gonna be me and kirk <laughs> It's, it's not, not the two white me. guys. It's not going to be you, right? Because there isn't one answer. That's the that's that white supremacy piece too. Oh well, if I don't know the answer, then this goes back to the perfectionism about why we're going to stumble forward, and sometimes stumble backwards, but we're going to stumble on with this because if we're waiting for that perfect that perfect piece, right? Perfectionism is one of those trappings of of supremacy and white supremacy. There there is no one answer. That that goes to perfectionism. Mm. And you're right that, uh, and I, I do that in my day job endeavors that I aiming for perfect, I will miss, uh, improvements and better. Um, so it just, like you say, keep it moving forward, but Kirk, thank you uh, very much for the, the kind words. Uh, some of what you've described, we are gonna, um, I would say attempt. Uh, so, uh, Rev, maybe, uh, if you want to just give folks a little bit, what we're going to try to do is give a little bit more structure. Um, so we're going to have, uh, I think a group reading assignment or assignments. Mm -hmm. That sounds terrible. <laughs> like a, no, like a, a, a group reading. We're going to get to that later, but yeah, I think one of the things we're going to do is we're going to look at a, at a group read that if folks want to read along with, uh, we can read kind of together. 
uh, pieces, and we'll get a little bit into that later on in the in the episode. We're going to look at having different segments that they all won't happen in every episode, but we've got some kind of uh, yeah segments or you know topics that uh, that we'll have to to pull from and choose from. Uh, at different times and and just try to try to get some structure that way uh, to give us structure and also that might help uh, if we can if we can get it together if we can pull it together now that things have settled down a little bit for me and things have settled down a little bit for you uh, that we might even be able to announce early so that folks can get ready for it so that they're ready to potentially interact uh, with us yeah I I also think of that as a uh, accountability you know Absolutely. Writing a check that we have to have to cover. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So let's uh, let's jump into it. It's been. Oh, wait. Oh, hold oh, on. Before ooh. that. So one of those things we did already do, though, is looking at a hashtag to be able to oh, kind right. of keep keep in conversation with folks about this. And that would be the hashtag is hashtag white privilege podcast. So hashtag white privilege podcast. W-H-I-T-E-P-R-I-V-I-L-E-G-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. So hashtag white privilege podcast, that'll be the kind of consistent piece. And I know it's long. We were trying to figure out how to get something that wouldn't be so long, but we were unsuccessful. So at the moment, this is what it is where we can keep in conversation with folks. Uh, Besides, obviously, you can always just tag us individually. But at the moment, that is where we will start uh, start sending folks. Yeah, and please do use that hashtag. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And thanks, Kirk, for for writing in. And as Rev said, you can always tag uh, them at Unreally Rev, me at Very White Guy, or use the hashtag White Privilege Podcast. And I, I like, like, <laughs> I kind of laugh that that you like I say white. Like, there's an extra like emphasis on the H. I don't know why, but I just do. That's it's your it's the it's the cartoon character you. I can't. What who is it that does that? Is it on? Uh, is it Stewie? Somebody does that on Family Guy or something. <laughs> So it's your it's your cartoon character that does that. My my, my cartoon character, according to my wife, is Baby Huey. So <laughs> I don't know what Baby Huey does or says, but so uh, someone came up with the the term we've been needing and searching for uh, what can only be described as some outlandish white nonsense that that just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. This calling the cops on on black people for living and breathing. Uh, so folks have dubbed it white collar, C A L L E R, not collar, um, white collar crimes. Uh, and it's just I don't even know if there's even I say like a no point in talking about it. But good God, Rev! I, I, every other day there's one. It, it went from barbecue Becky to permit Patty to just it's like it, it's so many that. I, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but I think the thing that it's telling me is that this is so much more pervasive. We're just seeing it more now because people are recording it. This has been going on forever and ever and ever. Oh, yeah. People have been recording it and people are and you've got the ability to to, you know, like put it on blast in terms of social media and get attention to it quicker and hand it over. So, yeah, I think, I've, of course, this has been over policing and, and using the police to to. Uh, keep things respectable right in quotes for white people that's been happening since the invention of the police so that hasn't that's not new it's the exposure i think i think one of the and one of the things that as we're going to see i think as we go down kind of our list here that white people use calling the police for is a way to stay anonymous in their criticism and critique and unrespectability uh of black people and yeah. so this what's been happening is that exposure has been been huge is we're not going to let this stay quiet anymore yeah and i i would say you know 
I'm, I'm tired of people saying like, oh, they just don't know. I think white people know exactly what they're doing when they call it cops. Yeah, I think they know precisely that the cops are a, a cudgel and, a, and a, a, we weaponize the police uh, against blackness. So I, I don't think there's any uh, mistake when white people call it cops. You know what I mean? And so you, you mentioned uh, the history and uh, I'll put a link in the, the show notes. But well, there's- I would say I, I would push a little bit against that because I do think that there is, that there is an obliviousness to it. Now, granted, I think it's a, I think it's an, an intentional obliviousness that, that comes with all whiteness, right? Where we don't have to realize that that's really what's happening. If you think about it for about 10 minutes, then you go, oh, right, of course. But that's what whiteness does is it allows us to not have to think about that. And so I think there's an obliviousness yeah, to folks it's, around it. I feel like that, it's more of a difference of, of history. Like for white people, the police are good people. Like exactly. the, the police Absolutely. don't, the police aren't called to beat us up and harass us. And, and, you know, we don't get charged with trespassing. You know, the police are a, uh, a good presence in our life. So I think right. that's the, I, I'll agree with you on that, that maybe not every white person that calls the police is, uh, nefariously thinking and hoping the police are going to beat the, the person up. But I, I also don't think that they're completely oblivious to that possibility. Well, certainly now I think that's shifting, right? I think that's that. there's there's willful ignorance as a part of that now often because it's become so apparent that if you even if you had that potential excuse in the past uh it's it's over now in this country it's over yeah it uh you've been what rock have you been living under for the last three or four years uh so i'll put a link uh leslie put a nice little infographic about the 1850 slave patrol uh and versus this is going back three years 2015 law enforcement but but nothing has really changed uh but the fugitive slave act of 1850 specifically established a precedent of law enforcement's requirement to arrest suspected runaway slaves setting up an institutional focus on black and brown bodies uh, and it's still there today you see the the remnants uh so the actual slave patrol act um it was required to monitor the rigid pass requirements for blacks traveling the countryside that leads right now to f- stop and frisk right the, it leads this- to stop and frisk and it leads exactly into what ice is doing around border patrol Right. And around grabbing people and who might look like and we're not sure if they're allowed. Right. It's it's a direct it's a direct, direct, not even correlation. It's just a direct descendant. Yeah. I mean, really, the 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 correlators are very, very clear. Uh, So we I want to talk a little bit something. I think it's obvious. I hope it's obvious the the racial uh, overtones when the police are used in this way. But there's. Something I experienced, and this is kind of, I'm going to have to embarrassingly admit that I, I maybe failed uh, at this moment. And it's a good time to matter. Nobody's perfect. But so I was with my my brother and uh, we're in his little suburb and it's middle of the day. It's like four or five o'clock. And uh, he comes to me and says, oh man, I got I to tell you that you know, your car's not dented, but there's a little bit of a, a scratch. I'm like, what are you talking about? One of his neighbors sideswiped my car while I was parked on the side of the street. And... I suspect this individual was drunk. I, I, I almost certain that this, this woman, a white woman was drunk and it's a, it's a neighbor of my brother's and admittedly there isn't any really damage on the car. It's not like I'm going to be, Oh my God, this car's, you know, there really isn't almost no visible damage to the car. But nevertheless, my niece is in this. It's a cul-de-sac, right? My brother's kids were possibly out there. And I, I honestly think this, this woman was drunk, but, the request was made to not call the police, right? And 
And I, and I went along with it. I, I gotta be honest. I didn't, you know, put my foot down and say, no, let's call the police. And it's, it was because my brother made the request. It's his house. It's his neighbor. I was trying to, you know, that's what we white people do, be deferential. But it got me thinking about not so much how supremacy is upheld in the obvious ways, anti-blackness, but in the sort of subtle ways when it's in an all-inclusive group of white people and we kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge and let people get away with shit, you know? Well, that becomes, it's, a, it's uh, I think that'll come up if we, if we uh, a little bit later in the episode too uh, with, a, with another segment around who are we willing to protect and who are we not willing to protect. I mean, if we're looking at, if we're looking at uh, having bigger alternatives, period, instead of calling the police, then that would include this neighbor that did this, right? But if we're only going to do that for people that we know and people that we look like uh, that look like us, even if it's not that conscious, even if it's we're only caught, we're only protecting people that we just really think they're okay and they didn't mean it. That's a very different. That's very different than an idea of we're just not going to call the police anymore because there are alternatives to uh, to reconciliation and to accountability and all that. Yeah, this so this wasn't that's really what it goes down to. Yeah, this wasn't any uh, radical approach to, to justice. This was uh, uh, an upholding the assumed innocence of a white woman. And, and that really is what I was kind of got thinking is that the the two sides of this coin, right, like white supremacy the opposite is is anti-blackness right the sort of they're they're inherently related and it's clear to me when when things are anti-black i can see that i've got a great lens for anti-blackness but here was a moment where i upheld the innocence of a white woman when it it maybe shouldn't have been and and i have to understand that that comes at a there's a cost to that 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 didn't happen in a vacuum i may not you know it wasn't uh, overtly anti-black, but it had the same effect, right? This sort of assumed innocence of this white woman. Um, and it, it, I think, you know, ultimately, I hope, <laughs> I'm certain that my brother doesn't listen to this podcast, but it, I think there was a disagreement in their household as to that course of action. I, I think perhaps my sister-in-law didn't agree with uh, his decision in that regard. But well, one of the things I think we talked about in the last episode or one of the last episodes is how uh, white supremacy and certainly upholding white supremacy hurts all of us and puts all of us in danger all the time. And in upholding that, potentially, you, uh, your nieces and nephews are potentially in danger if that is going to be a continued uh, you know, behavior of this neighbor. Yeah, now right? I feel culpable, you know, and I am culpable. I shouldn't say I feel I am, you know, I, I, I in that moment decided to, to maintain this white woman's innocence and I, and who knows what the ramifications of that will be. Right. And that's, there's a difference in some of the other pieces that we're looking at just here in another minute or so that we're going to talk about what are the alternatives to calling the police period. If we're going to look at an abolition of, of the police, there need to be that, but it wouldn't just be, Oh, we're going to pretend like it didn't happen. There would be, some, you know, you'd have to be engaged with that neighbor and say, hey, listen, this is what happened and this is what the consequences could be and this is what we're going to do and hey, this is my concern and it doesn't sound like that was part of it. It was just, let's sweep it under the rug. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're, you're, it's a good point to make a distinction between calling the cops on broken windows, right, just broken windows policing and this is related to what we see with gentrification when white people move into a, a neighborhood like Brooklyn the, the police and everyone protect them and their interests are protected. And now they start calling the cops for noise violations, for cars being parked on the street that look a certain way. And the police respond and, and react. So, 
you know, there are definitely alternatives to broken windows policing. There's definitely alternatives to uh, if you have a black neighbor in crisis. We know now mental health crises oftentimes are met with violence from the police. So there's definitely um, times and, and, and ways to do things differently regarding policing. Um, but protecting whiteness, I don't think, is one of them. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, upholding... those, those should not be those should not be uh, conflated as we're having right. this conversation. And nobody that's listening should hear us conflating those two things. Agreed. Well, so there was a, a good article Mashable put, uh, and it was, I think, it was pretty recent because there's been so many white collar crimes, but um, five alternatives to calling the police. Uh, so I'll just uh, start this article. This is by Rebecca Ruiz. Uh, it says, thanks to Allison Etel, aka Peppermint or Permit Patty. I said Peppermint. Permit Patty. We can add selling bottled water without a permit to the list of things black people can't do in America without having the cops call to them. Etel became the subject of viral outrage when she appeared to call the police to report an eight-year-old black girl illegally selling water on a San Francisco street. Uh, they just talk about the video. So they're going to give you some five suggestions of what we can do uh, instead of calling the police. First one, take several deep breaths. You know that meditation app you optimistically downloaded a while back. Now is the time to click it. Get very real about those deep breaths or if meditation is not your thing, play some soothing music. Taylor Swift, Celine Dion, Enya, whatever it takes, get your heart rate down and your mind relatively clear because acting out of blind rage and calling the police could get a black person thrown in jail or killed. Uh, you want to alternate? You want me to keep reading? Oh, I can do the next one. Uh, right. Number two, ask yourself what you're really angry about. Uh, and that that's a that's huge here, right? So uh, I'm skipping around a little bit here. Consider the possibility that you're using police as a pressure valve release for things spinning out of control in your personal life. But more to the point, reflect on why you're calling the police on this particular person. If your first reaction is, oh, but I'm not racist, try again. If you want to feel vindicated or hope to make a statement about a larger community issue you think involves a, speci a specific racial or ethnic group, you're probably calling the police for terrible reasons. Uh, you know, when I read this, I thought, I don't think most white people want to ask themselves what they're really angry about because it would be that the person's black. Like they'd have to admit that they're they're being, uh, you know, white supremacy. <laughs> if they say, why am I angry at this black person you know, that did this thing? Well, because they're black. That These won't want to admit that. Number three. I'm, I'm mad because don't they know who they are? Don't they know who I am? Don't they know where they are? Aren't they supposed to? And all those things come back to you're being racist. <laughs> what was the one? And I, I, I wish I knew the white people's names to embarrass them at this moment. But the white guy in the his work van who followed a black uh, guy home. Yeah. And then had the audacity to be like upset about it. It's like you just fought, like you're mad at him, but you followed him all the way to his fucking home. Like, who is you? Like, you followed him home. Followed him home and then is mad that people that he got, well, that he got exposed, right? Yeah. This is about that exposure yeah. again. He's like, oh, I can't live in Columbus anymore. My life is ruined. Well, maybe you yeah. should have thought of that before you followed a man home. You know, it's interesting. This is a little tangential, but but it's interesting. You know, uh, one of the things that has that has become clear over the last whatever year and a half, uh, when we watched what happened in Charlotte, uh, Charlottesville, in Charlottesville last year, which the anniversary is right around now, uh, uh, with the you know the big the big rally and all of those all those uh, young men particularly in their their polo shirts and their uh -huh. and their khakis with no masks right they're not this is not your grandparents and your parents KKK where they wore masks they're very proud to be unmasked and out and bold 
that level of people and holding their white supremacy out front are really good with being unmasked but it's the it's the ones that haven't uh, it's that subtle racism right it's that hidden white supremacy that those of us that are white don't always recognize no one understand it's what that's exposed that's be, that's horrifying people and freaking them out and making them mad yeah right? it's th- that hidden exposure right now is what's taking people off guard the obvious ones they're happy to be exposed sure it's the hidden stuff that's in us when that's exposed that's what's so disruptive right now i mean that i'll, I'll use an i statement I, i'm far from perfect and when i i make a mistake that that maybe has some, uh, you know, it was not received well by a, a marginalized identity. I feel horrible. I feel really, really bad about it. And you should, <laughs> you know, like you don't want to make those kind of mistakes. If you don't, if you're the people in Charlottesville screaming, you know, like you will not replace us and blood in the streets. Like they're, they, I think they even call themselves proud boys. Like that's kind of like the, they're proud to be white nationalists. So those right. folks don't, don't bother with them. Cut them <laughs> completely out of the, the conversation. Uh, number three, there's one that, that, white dudes should keep in mind remember you're no saint you may feel self-righteous when you're dialing 911 but no one is beyond reproach indeed atel herself seemed to have been running her own business in a legal gray area she admitted to the chronicle in 2015 that her business selling medical cannabis products for animals operated on a don't ask don't tell philosophy atel felt emboldened enough to say that in a major publication yet she was willing to report an eight-year-old girl to the police for selling water without a permit oh my god just and that 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 with the permit patty thing that she was selling like illegal cannabis treats for dogs for a period is just like the whitest thing on earth that yep. she's calling a, a, a the police on a eight year old black girl selling water and it is always the the whole that bootstrap thing right oh black people you're or people of color are getting entitlements they're taking you know I'm paying for this and you're getting these things and pick yourself up by the bootstraps and we're gonna call the cops on you selling fucking bottled water. Yep. That's uh, insane. Yeah. Number four. Is, number four, take an implicit bias test. You don't see race, you say? That is foolishness. Racism is everywhere in America. Insist you're colorblind all you like, but that doesn't mean racist stereotypes and ideas don't enter and poison your consciousness. Instead of pretending you're not affected by racism, take a test that gauges how you associate people in groups, positive and negative at- attributes, and stereotypes. You might be surprised what you learn about yourself. And I would also, I would add to this, yeah, you say you don't see race, yeah, racism is everywhere, but also race is everywhere. Pretending like it doesn't exist is not solving the problem. This colorblind thing that a lot of us were taught, I think, out of the, you know, the, the 60s and 70s is is that in and of itself is poison to pretend that uh, because this this colorblind thing always creates whiteness as the norm that everything else is com- is compared against which in- makes that whiteness invisible as it's as its own thing uh, with with all the issues and problems that's whiteness becomes becomes the uh, the invisible the invisible piece so just to say you don't see it, it's such nonsense. It literally, it it's here. We all have one. Some of us have multiple, you know, like it's here. Yeah. And the implicit bias test is, uh, it's a, I think it's Princeton put it out and there it, you get pictures and words and associations. You might be surprised. Uh, you know, I, uh, I had a 
it's embarrassing again, uh, a church group at my house. And uh, we, we started with an implicit bias test and it was all white men. Not a single white male would admit that the word criminal had in their minds been associated with blackness. They just like wouldn't even admit it. My wife's black. And I was like, yeah, I hear the word criminal and my mind thinks black because 40 years of news and media have told me that. (laughs) Like you can't even raise your hand and admit that you've got like, come on, you know? Well, that's that exposure again, right? And then all the shame that comes with it and all those pieces that have been put in place by the bigger mechanism of this nonsense of this colorblind thing that actually colorblindness upholds white supremacy. Yeah. And even the the nature of it, to think about it, like it's so odd that if I'm saying I don't see color inherent in that is I've, I've already othered you. (laughs) I've said that you are something else and now I'm not going to see that something else. What the, how in the world is that? Yeah. And I I gotta admit, I thought that uh, in the, in the maybe like 90, 88, 89, 90, when I was in like my 18, 19, 20s, I would have thought like, I would have told somebody, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm colorblind. I don't see color, you know? Well, yeah, it's such nonsense. And you know, this, the implicit bias test as well, some, you know, tens, at this point, I believe it's tens of thousands of people have taken this test and it's, fairly consistent as to the results so in terms of even just empirical evidence academic type like argue argue at your own peril right it's it's pretty 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 on on target yeah uh number five order a book that deconstructs racism in america wait for it to be delivered read it all the way through and then ask yourself again if you should call the cops uh, if you can spend two hours calling authorities and waiting for them to show up, you have plenty of time to read some of the best books on racism in America. You can focus specifically on the experience of black Americans, but know that other people of color may also become the targets of white people willing to call the cops over their behavior. Here's a good list of books to get you started. Stamped from the beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America by Ibram X. Kendi. The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. So You Want to Talk About Race by E.G. Malou and White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Uh, that's from Robin D'Angelo. And then also coming out uh, in, I think, September, uh, How to Be Less Stupid About Race from uh, uh, Always Self on Twitter, Crystal, uh, Dr. Chris Fleming. So their book's coming out, I think, in September. And that's also available for pre-order. Um, so yes, lots, of, lots of really good books my, out there. My, my mailbox is uh, just waiting and waiting for that book. I've had it ordered forever. It's, I, I'm pretty sure it is coming out next month. I think so too. Just how to be less stupid about race is a perfect title for us white folk. Um, But yeah, so get a book, read it. uh, Google's, there's lots of things you can do, um, but don't call the cops. And I think we can also look, uh, and we can put these up in the show notes as well. Uh, I won't go into into great detail about it, but uh, the UUA, uh, our denomination actually has included some information on alternatives to calling the police for congregations. So individuals, it's one thing, but how, how are our institutions considering and thinking about this as well? And what, what pieces do you have in place as an organization to find alternatives to calling to the police? And uh, so it's worth, I think it's worth thinking about individually and, and how we're using institutions and how institutions perpetuate uh, supremacy as well. Yeah. And it's, it's not on this list, but so I, I'm a big proponent of just talking to your neighbors. <laughs> like if you know your neighbors and you're talking to them, that's why I feel like a lot of the, the gentrification racist stuff in Brooklyn, like they just, white folk don't even want to know their neighbors. They just want to call the police and have the, the problem go away. But talk to your neighbors, you know, you'll be a lot less likely to call the police on, you just go knock on a door. 
right? The... Well, and that that kind of that kind of leads us into uh, we had another we had another interaction with uh, our other listener. Yay! Indivisible Alta had uh, sent out a, a message via Twitter after our last episode, and one of the requests uh, that Indivisible Alta had was looking would love a discussion on how to navigate conversations with white progressives. TM, on issues like gentrification, white flight, school integration, culture, appro- cultural appropriation, they're much trickier than even policing. And so I think that is something that we'll look we'll look at uh, and, and was definitely connected in some readings that I did just uh, looking at alternatives calling police. A lot of that is connecting uh, in certainly in cities around gentrification and where where those uh, where there's interlap or uh, overlap and, and interconnection around uh, white people coming into spaces that we hadn't always been in in communities and cultures that we haven't been a part of and insisting uh, that the police come in and inter interact with our neighbors on our behalves because we won't get to know our neighbors. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at individual Alto's question about how to have these convos with white progressives on issues like gentrification, white flight, school integration. And I'm thinking about in my own life and family that the conversations I've had um, and, and they're right that it, the, there are things that are more obvious to discuss, like policing. You know, I think at least my family, all of my family are pretty clear that, uh, you know, police brutality is, is white supremacy that, that that that's definitely racialized but not all of my family would agree about say gentrification or white flight right and they and they might i'm i'm certain i have family members that would couch it in the well i just want my kids to have the best education i just want you know good schools i just think this for my kids uh, and i i admittedly don't know how to always have those conversations i've been successful um, you know, there's certainly data on uh, school integration that, that's very clear that uh, integrated and diverse schools are better for all students, including the white students. Um, but I, how do you tell that to to someone who's moving out of a, a town? And uh, I'm trying to think other places like even we live in Grand Rapids, an entire section of the city annexed itself off, disconnected from Grand Rapids, called itself East Grand Rapids. so They could have their own school district with a higher per capita spending. You know, so how do you, I don't know how you, and I've had this discussion with, with Leslie, in particular with gentrification. It's like, how do you stop gentrification without stopping capitalism? Because people will they'll always do what, not always, but they're just going to say, well, why shouldn't I have sold this house in this way? Why shouldn't I have flipped this and done this? It, you know, someone else, is, if I don't do it, someone else will make the money, right? Like, how do you, how do you get rid of gentrification without taking a bite out of capitalism? Well, I, we're thinking about this right now as we're looking to move, you know, we're moving to a new city, moving into Chicago, and we don't want to live in the suburbs. We also don't want to live in a little enclave of white people. That's not how we want to raise our kids. That's not where we want to go. And so, but the question becomes, well, then where do we go? How do we become part of a neighborhood when we are outsiders? We're not from Chicago. So how can we become part of a neighborhood that then doesn't, just become part of gentrification of, and if, if if we as a white family move into a neighborhood that's not pre- predominantly white or mostly not white uh what are we going to mess up by doing that what is that going to signal what is that going to do i and i don't know the answers to that but we're thinking about that and wondering about it and then 
having to work through that and talk to people and learn new neighborhoods and work with the people that I know here. It's a, it's a big piece. And that comes with, we got kids school age and school comes with that too. Yeah. And I don't even know, you know, what you said, like, is there a way to simultaneously not be in an all white enclave, but also not be inappropriately taking you know, like gentrifying an area. Like, can you, right. can a white person move into a, a non-white neighborhood and it not be gentrification? I don't know. Right. I don't know either. How do we do that as a way to be part of something, uh, as a way to not continue to continue self-segregation, right? in white communities and hoarding the resources of that, but trying to connect and, and shift and learn from and be a part of rather than colonize. And we don't want to go in and colonize. We want to go in and be a part of, and I don't know, maybe it's not possible and I'm not sure, but I know that we're thinking about it a lot and it's slowing down our process in a big way. Um, and it's, it's complicated. There's, it's not easy. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think that there is room and, and for, uh, uh, indivisible Alta, there's, uh, I, I, the things that you're asking about are things that we're going to keep discussing on how to navigate those questions. Cause we're navigating them. You and I are navigating it between each other, right? You're yeah. navigating it with Leslie. I'm doing it with my wife. Like we have to have these conversations with each other. Yeah. And to, I'm thinking of your, your, your dilemma, right? And I've, I've had not the same discussion, but call it a discussion with Leslie about um, just balancing those two things. Is, is this adding to, you know, oppression of black people or is this helping marginalized identity, you know, folks with marginalized identities? And you don't always have the right answer. There's no, sometimes it's not one or the other. It's kind of like we're doing both, you know, we're, we're messing up and we're doing good. Um, right. and, and that's, that's tough. You know, that's really, uh, I'm glad that you're having those dialogues. And so the, the outcome on one, and I, I can't remember what it was, but, but Leslie said, you know, Drew, we're just going to have to, sometimes you got to take a sacrifice. You know, this work doesn't come without making sacrifices. And yeah. this is, this is a sacrifice we're going to have to make. And, and maybe well, but I want us to make the, the problem. The piece around that is I want us to make the sacrifice. I don't want a community that we're going into to have to make a sacrifice for us. Oh, and that's and, the thing. Yeah. And I, I should have said that more clearly that, that, that Leslie was saying, we as a family, a unit, we are going to have to make a sacrifice um, for the things that we believe in. And, and sometimes that's a sacrifice financially. It's a sacrifice in other ways. And I think, in doing that, you, 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 a, are, are showing an example. Hey, here's how, you know, we navigated this and here's a, a, a white person that maybe navigated it more successfully than coming in and gentrifying the neighborhood. But, you know, that might be the answer is that, uh, more white folks have to be okay with, with making a sacrifice. And I just, I don't, I, I don't, I hate to say it. I don't see a lot of white people willing to make many sacrifices. It's a piece it's a hard those are hard balances and i gotta tell you as soon as you're as soon as i know you guys don't have kids but now that i do as soon as you know kids come into the picture it adds another layer in conversation and all sorts of pieces and you know one of the things i know that we talked about at the top of this show right we're not going to do it perfectly we're going to stumble through and we're going to do some things better than others and my hope is that we do less harm in whatever we do, because you know what, in some ways I think, I, I think if we just go and go into another, you know, go into an all white neighborhood and keep ourselves segregated that way, uh, 
there is a certain amount of harm that happens raising two white boys who are going to then be surrounded by that norm, which is part of what we're trying to not do is we're trying to break some of these uh, patterns and and get them to have different experiences so that they can take this to the next place as as being responsible, you know, white adults someday. So there's some harm that we're going to do if we keep perpetuating the same uh, communities that that we're a part of right now in St. Louis. One of the reasons that we're leaving, right? And uh, and yet we're also probably going to do some harm if we try to connect in a community and, and that, that's not all white. And so how can we do the least amount of harm and where we do harm, where can we do some kind of repair? How can we, yeah. how can we make inroads? And that's just what it's going to have to be. It's just, there is not going to be a perfect way to do this. There's not going to be a perfect way. There's not going to be a comfortable way. That's another word that I think I want to throw into the mix for me uh, is this isn't just about perfection. It's also about comfort and being uncomfortable and that's just getting good with being uncomfortable is going to have to be uh, is going to have to be a part of my spiritual discipline. Yeah. And I don't know why I was thinking of Kirk's uh, email that they wrote about contradictions, right? The contradiction they says, don't ask black folks to teach you, but it's also bad for white folks to kind of be in a bubble like like surge. And I think a lot of this work there, it is almost diametrically opposed, right? It's like contraindicated with the way we've been living our lives as white people in a white supremacist society. Um, and you're going to, we're going to mess it up. And and there's probably, like you said, there's not going to be a, a clear cut answer and we're probably doing both harm and good at the same time. And it's just a matter of focusing on doing more good and, and trying to be better uh, with each passing day, I guess, but there's going to be those contradictions. We're going to, you know, I struggle with, and that's literally the conversation we had last podcast episode the contradiction of i'm trying we're trying with this podcast to educate other white folk but are we really doing any good or is it just making us feel good we're probably doing both <laughs> you know what i mean like a little right. bit of you know six of one half dozen column a or b however that phrase goes um so we're probably uh gonna go forward and backward with the podcast and with with our own lives and work and uh it sounds like you're you're at least thinking about and trying to make the right decisions with with uh, your move and that's that's awesome to hear I w and i hope more white people do that um i know it's something that, that certainly we look at and think about when we move you know what are we doing and what's the impact we're going to have and, and I, I don't know if we made the right choice in grand rapids i don't know if it was uh, if, uh there was the right mix to, to get it right uh, we tried but maybe we didn't and that's why we're not there anymore yeah yeah, that's and I some of this stuff, you know what? Some of this stuff I'm not going to know in my lifetime. Some of this stuff it may be left for my kids to figure out that that we really screwed up or maybe it wasn't. Maybe there's there's pieces that it won't be, but some of this is just again letting go of that the yardstick that white supremacy puts on that it's going to be figured out or it's going to there's going to be some way to know I, that yardstick to to try to measure. It's it's really messes us up. I know it messes me up. Yeah. I hope it is our kids and not our kids, 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 kids that solve it. <laughs> it'd, yeah. it'd be great if it was the next generation. Uh, so uh, moving to the next little segment real quick. Uh, we had a couple of different things and suggestions and uh, Kirk mentioned that contradiction. Uh, Shea Blake, black girl in Maine has a great blog uh, and there's a section calling all white people written by an average white guy, not me. Somebody else out there <laughs> goes by average white guy. Um, but again, uh, some really good, uh, useful information, but again, a little bit kind of 
that contradiction where we're, you know, white people should be teaching each other, but we shouldn't be getting our, our stuff from white people. And well, here's a, a platform, black girl in Maine that, that, you know, I want to support them and her, but I'm getting material from a white person. It's all kind of a, a mess. Um, but so black girl Maine's got, uh, average white guy resource and there's maybe about 25 different posts um pretty good uh content uh, again from a, a, a white person white perspective you might find that valuable if you do please donate uh please contribute to uh, black girl Maine's blog uh, and i did that on on behalf of our podcast today since i'd be mentioning uh their white uh, average white guy resources but um good stuff yeah. uh, go check it out uh, and there's one other last thing i wanted to mention uh today was pay uh, black women's equal pay day i don't know if uh if you saw that or, or read a little bit about it um, i did and so we've we've talked a little bit about various things and here's one of those uh you hear a lot about the pay discrepancy between men and women and you frequently and i, I think it was the oscars a couple of years ago was it uh what white woman went on stage and talked about the pay discrepancy? Oh, Arquette. Uh, Patricia Arquette, Arquette. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and referenced the the number that we all, all know on the top of our head. I think it's seventy four or seventy eight cents on the dollar. And what what Patricia Arquette didn't articulate, and we got to remember, is that's all women, right? The gap between all women and all men is this seventy four or seventy eight cents. But the gap between black women, Latinx women, indigenous women is even greater. And so today was the the day uh, in which black women had to work to earn the same amount of money. So they had to work all the way until July, right, the, to get the equal pay as, as a white man. Um, so there's a, a couple of good resources. Uh, there's an article on CNBC that, that Leslie was interviewed for, uh, and that was uh, black women talking about being underpaid and negotiating advice they've been given. And there's also uh, a nice article from Vox about uh, black women's equal pay day uh, and the gender gap uh, and then what you should know about it. But we'll put both those links in the podcast notes. Uh, just make a note, today was August 7th, almost over half a year uh, yeah. for black women to to get to the equal pay uh, moment and I and I and that was an, I've been guilty of that as well. I'm sure some years ago I would banter about the 78 cents or 74 cents uh, figure without realizing that that was a blended average of all women uh, and not specific for women of color. Right, and I can't remember um, off the top of my head because I read a number of them and I don't want to I don't want to not pay attention to what we're talking about to go find it in my Twitter feed. Uh, we, we should probably try when we later on in the year in, in whatever episode it comes up when I think it's Latinx uh, for Lat Latinx uh, uh, women. I think their equal pay date is going to be sometime in November. <sighs> so yeah, it's pretty serious. It's yeah. pretty serious. And so, and it's stuff to pay attention to. And this is all stemming from supremacy. This all stems from supremacy. You know, and this is, you know, one of the, so indivisible, indivisible also asked about these bigger conversations. Um, one of the ones that I've, I've found more, I don't say success, but, but police brutality resonates with folks. They can kind of see it. Um, income inequality and generational wealth building. I've had some you know, success is probably the wrong word, but I've, I've been able to have conversations with people where they can kind of get that. Like, you know, the sort of like, oh, you know, slavery was so long ago, get over it. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Here's what, you know, has happened. Here's what generational wealth means. Here's what being locked out of housing opportunities. Here's what all of this has, has done. And, and I, I'll have to find it, but I, I, I think I saw somewhere that at the current rate, the net value of black wealth will be zero at some point in the future. That, right. that white wealth is literally skyrocketing and, and black economic uh, wealth is, is going down, down, down to the point that it'll be 
negative or zero at some point in the future. And that's just, it's just mind boggling, mind boggling, you know? So maybe that's a, a easier way to get into some of these bigger conversations, talking about wealth uh, and just sort of hoarding and generational wealth building. Um, but so black women's equal pay day, it took uh, black women all the way until August 7th to earn uh, the same amount of money that, that white men earned in 2017. Uh, so check out the hashtag pay black women. Uh, also the black women's equal pay day hashtag. Um, I'm trying to think if we have anything else we wanted to go over. Rev? Well, the, one of the things that we want that I wanted to talk about is considering, and we'll figure out how to uh, talk about this via Twitter using that hashtag hashtag white privilege podcast, or if you're drew, white privilege podcast uh we uh i mentioned last episode i was starting to read this book called mothers of massive resistance uh subtitle white women and the politics of white supremacy and i have i'm about halfway through it now and one of the reasons i haven't finished it was all the things we talked about at the beginning but also the fact that i'm underlining like every 15 sentences is there something to underline it's uh it's so infuriating and so enlightening and so upsetting and so important, I think, for white people to uh, to read and to see some of the insidiousness of not the obvious stuff that we think about with white supremacy like KKK, but how the women, white women, were able to, in lots of ways, infiltrate and, and uphold, and not just uphold, uh, instill and... Uh, white supremacy by doing these smaller, quieter things like being part of school boards yep. and being the ones that were, um, if they were midwives and nurses, actually, uh, there's a whole chapter about how race uh, was actually stated on birth certificates. And when you when it when somebody couldn't be mixed race, because there was a period of time where that wasn't permitted in many states, uh, the white women who were responsible for deciding what race people were babies were yep. and how that changed things over the course then of generations right now we're looking at some of the stuff you're talking about uh okay so if you're not allowed because of the race on your birth certificate that you were given by a midwife because a lot of a lot of people weren't most people weren't born in hospitals for until fairly recently uh in this country even and uh you know so that that midwife or someone who came out uh to to the house and determining based on that is going to determine where you're going to be allowed to buy a house if you're going to be allowed to buy a house what neighborhood your kids can go to school all the stuff this is this is in this book and it was and it's so much quieter and it's so much more insidious than just looking at you know uh proud boys in the KKK. When I was talking to my wife about this, uh, I, I told her the title. I said, you got to read this book, Mothers of Massive Resistance. And the first thing she thought was that we're looking at, you know, the this new kind of resistance movement by many. There's There are a number of mothers whose children have been killed by the police, but black mothers whose children have been killed by the police. Because that's how we're thinking about resistance right now. This is resistance to this. No, this is the resistance to the resistance of white supremacy, the white resisting of the shifts around uh, around uh, white supremacy, it's so important that we notice this. And so, what I'd like to propose is that uh, when the next episode, that maybe you and I uh, talk about, and maybe we just go chapter to chapter. It's not a super long book. Um, I think it's it's under 250 pages. Uh, so 
maybe we talk about the first chapter. And if those of you that are listening, if you want to kind of read along, we'll keep track of things via the hashtag. But uh, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely want to do it. I, I, I was not familiar with uh, Elizabeth Gillespie McRae or this uh, book, but I saw an article and I like a lot of what uh, she's saying. It sounds really uh I don't know. I've heard a lot about white women and uh, the complicity in maintaining white supremacy. Uh, This is a really nice historical look at it. Uh, Really like things that I wasn't quite so aware of that was one of the article that a white woman had an article in a Mississippi newspaper for over 30 years titled how to maintain white supremacy. That, uh, well, and that's the thing is right. Even the language that you just used this idea. And this is some of the things that she's, she's, pulling out and really being clear about is this idea it's been talked about that white women have been complicit in white supremacy as though oh yeah we're just going along with it right. except that's not the case it's not about going along and oh really this was the men's thing and this is a men's thing and women no 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 white women haven't been complicit white women have been uh an equal partner in white supremacy and pushing white supremacy from the go from go yeah, I, the the author's assertion is that that white women have shaped and embraced conservative politics uh, in, in significant ways, as like I said, as foot soldiers of, of white supremacy. Uh, we often yeah. focus on the the politicians, but not. Uh, and really, you know, the, the the start of the article I read was talking about the surprise that a lot of us white people had at white women's support for uh, candidates like Trump and and Roy Moore, right? Like we we're. A lot of us were really surprised, but black women weren't. <laughs> My wife sure wasn't. Here's here. I'll I'll pull this from this article, and we can post the article because it's a, it'll give kind of a, a a little bit of a taste of what is coming in this book. Uh, she says here, why are we so surprised? Uh, you know this this question about. Um, the surprise, right? Wait, raising the question, why are we still surprised when a majority of white women vote for candidates who oppose public education, health care, and reproductive rights, and who support sexual harassment, harsh, harsh immigration policies, a regressive tax code, and a hawkish foreign policy? Why are we surprised about that? In part, because the actions of white men have obscured a fuller narrative of American conservatism conservatism and white supremacy focusing on the prominent rather than the prosaic has meant the story of white supremacist politics has followed the public proclamations of the george wallace's the ross barnett's and the lester maddox's all prominent segregationist governors allowing people to believe that segregation suits the interests of white men more than white women that's one of the problems here, right? Once enfranchised, however, women quickly proved their political views were far messier and less unified. Many women cast their votes for candidates devoted to creating racially homogenous, uh, a racially homogenous nation and ensuring maternal health or global disarmament. Just because they supported the latter two didn't mean the women were ra- li- radical liberals. Their political lives rejected the kind of gender essentialism, and so should we. This is this is the stuff that um, that that we have to pay attention to and it's that why the the surprise this has been going on this has been going on this book that we're going to look at really goes from about the teens like the 19 teens 1920s to the 70s ish early 80s so it's over a hundred years that this has been not again not just complicit an active conspirator mm. active conspirator in perpetuating white supremacy 
you know, there's just so much of, of, you know, this history is bound to repeat itself. So much of what we deal with in regards to white supremacy has been occluded and hidden from us via history, you know, just, and I always go back to my education. I, I, I read, uh, you know, all the little books they tell you to read and then somewhere, you know, further along, I think that lies the teacher lies. My teacher told me, and it was mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, you know, or like Howard Zinn's of people's history. It's like, wait a minute. What I've been reading is, is really wrong. Like on so many levels. That's a whole. That's a whole section of this book is the women uh, that she's that we're going to go into. There's an entire section of this book about women who uh, policed textbooks and uh, teaching curricula and teachers. You know, I I use the example. uh, I was taught how the West was won and manifest destiny, not slaughter of indigenous individuals you know like there's you can talk about this in two different ways manifest destiny how the west was one is really kind of nice and polite versus you know genocide, genocide. yeah right and uh, i forget in the article they, they had uh, a white woman who said don't ever use the word civil war call it the states uh, the war between the states and that same kind of thing you're talking about just this subtle silent shaping um to suit the the needs of white supremacy yeah, I think this will be. I, I know that again. I'm I'm reading it. I'm almost done with it. Let's and, do it. And I've talked to my wife about it, and I was like, I want you to read it because I need to talk about it, and I need to. I, I'm an external processor, so I need to for me to get it. I need to talk about it more, which is why I want you to read it so we can talk about it together. And then, you know, if other folks are interested, we can we can connect it through the hashtag. And and if there's other ways we can think about connecting it, we will. But at least that's a way to start. So check out. We'll put we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, Mothers of massive resistance, white women, and the politics of white supremacy and keep an eye on the hashtag hashtag white privilege podcast and let me just be clear that's a twitter hashtag we haven't gone into some of the other platforms with this but that's where we're looking at it with is twitter uh and and we can connect that way and and have a, have a conversation, have an ongoing conversation and uh, thinking through and talking through and, and maybe finding again, by, by doing this community read, maybe we'll be able to find some tools uh, looking at history that can throw a wrench into the system of starting this all over again and just doing the same thing again, because we don't know our history. Yeah. So we've got, uh, we mentioned uh, Dr. Fleming's book, how to be less stupid about race. And I think we said uh, September, I just looked it up at September 18th. So we've got a month and a half, probably only going to have, maybe two episodes between now and then. So oh, that would be brilliant if we could do two episodes between now and then. Good for us. Yeah. I'd like to, maybe we can, we can knock out mothers of massive resistance before how to be less stupid at race comes out so we can segue into that. But so let's, you say it's only a couple hundred pages. I'll get it on uh, Amazon and let's chug through it and let's, let's talk about it on the next show. I like or it. Don't, or don't get it on Amazon because Amazon is a problem. Oh. And find other places to do and get it to. <laughs> right. You know what you should do is you should send me your copy when you're done. Uh, my, I, I, I can't do that because I'm not going to be done. Like I have to keep reading it and looking at it and keep underlining things and then reading it again and then being mad at it. So while we're talking about it. <laughs> I have seen your library. You do have a good, you got a good section of books. I don't always keep them, but I'll, I'll figure out a way to get it. And uh, I'd like to go through it and, and be prepared to, to talk about uh, and start reading Dr. Fleming's book uh, mid-September. So uh, I'll pick it up. Uh, readers, please do the same and use the hashtag white privilege podcast uh, tag unruly rev or myself at very white guy. Uh, we've mentioned a few things. I'll just uh, reiterate Leslie Mack. Uh, she has a Patreon. Go to lesliemack.com and you can support her work. We also mentioned uh, Black Girl Maine. Please go to Black Girl Maine and support their work as well. Uh, help don't hinder, support don't supplant cooperate don't co-op 
solidarity, not charity. One person can make a difference. Your passion is a superpower. That is our sign-off framed by Feminista Jones. Any last words, Rev? No, thank you. This is uh, this has got me some got me some some work to do. I've got I've got homework. That's good. I'll I usually do things when I have a deadline. So this is yeah, now, now, now I've got to go find a black independent book publisher to buy uh, Mothers of White Massive White Resistance from. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening, uh, Kirk. Thank you, uh, Indivisible Alta. Thank you for the the feedback. We appreciate it. Um, and if uh, if the show is helpful, let us know, share it, uh, use the hashtag. We'll keep stumbling through and uh, we'll try to be better and, and share that journey and hopefully it'll prove valuable for someone. Thanks, Rev. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you on the next show. Take it easy. Bye.